The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke, chapter 21, beginning at the fifth verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We better pray after that reading. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth and be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, wasn't that a cheery little passage? Thanks, Stephen. False prophets, wars and insurrections, nations and kingdoms rising against each other, earthquakes, famines, plagues. Not sure when the last time I pondered a portent was, but if they're dreadful, they can't be good. Arrest, persecution, betrayal, and if that's not enough, death. I've got half a mind to stop right now and get the band back up and sing a happy song. How about that? But rather than uh, forgetting what we've just heard, the other half of my mind is challenging me that when you actually dig into some of these challenging texts, we often find a deep richness that we might not first expect. But I am a little extra cautious around passages like these um, because I know uh, what is known as apocalyptic or eschatological uh, writings in the Bible are fuel for doomsday cults, conspiracy theories and just general dodgy theology. I'm not sure which is worse out of those three. 
But in the last couple of sermons that I've preached, I've challenged you to rethink everything. Or as Brad would like me to say, rethink everything. Or rethink everything. Rethink everything. My English teacher would be much happier with. But I set myself that challenge as I was approaching this text, as I was wrestling with what I should share this morning. I think there's a natural urge to look at this passage then immediately create yourself into a checklist. I look like a checklist there, do I? Just need to go this way. Check, check, check. There you go. So let's run through what Jesus is saying and seeing if we can fill the checklist. Do we have any false prophets? Well, I think you can just insert your least favourite politician or billionaire into this category and go, check. Wars and insurrections, nations and kingdoms rising against each other. Well, there is the obvious war in, the U- in Ukraine, but all around our world at the moment are wars, civil wars, terrorist insurgencies and drug wars, specifically in these countries, Myanmar, Russia, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Burkina Faso, Colombia, DR Congo, Ethiopia, Iraq, Mali, Mexico, Nigeria, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan, Syria, Yemen, Algeria, Benin, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Chad, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Libya, Mauritania, Mozambique, Niger, Tanzania, Togo, Tunisia, and Uganda. I think we can say, check. We've already had 126 significant earthquakes so far this year, with the largest measuring 7.6 on the Richter scale in Mexico. Check. In July this year, the UN warned that a record number of people worldwide are moving towards starvation. Famine, check. Plagues. Oh, I wonder what I could say about plagues. I don't think I really need to say anything other than check. If um, you are like me and don't use the word portent every day, a portent is a sign or a warning that a momentous or calamitous event is likely to happen. Well, if you've gone anywhere near the internet or watched the news lately, you can categorically say, check. There are many countries in our world today where Christians are persecuted. And there is also a growing sense in the Western world that our secular culture is moving towards at least a perceived persecution of the Christian faith. That's another sermon but I think we can say check to that as well. You'll see betrayal on any reality television show at the moment, and death is always a very present reality for us all. So check and check. This passage can blow our mind if we let it. But maybe that is the pathway into rethinking 
everything regarding this passage. We see plenty of evidence in the writings of the New Testament that the early church thought that the return of Jesus or the end, whatever they thought that might mean, was imminent. Even before Jesus, there was a number of apocalyptic messianic movements emerging out of that part of the world. So I wonder if for a moment you can imagine the minds of the disciples being blown as Jesus shares these words with them by the temple. See, the temple had a history of being destroyed and rebuilt. So it's interesting that the disciples ask not how the temple is going to be destroyed, rather when is it going to be destroyed? and How are they going to know it's going to happen? They were living in the midst of Roman occupation. And even though we've all heard about the famous Pax Romana, they were an occupied nation. They would have seen themselves at war. And there were insurrections all around them from militant groups wanting to restore Israel to the way it should have been. Historians tell us that natural disasters, plagues and famines have been commonplace throughout human history and particularly in that part of the world at that particular time. So I'm sure that they could have looked around them and gone, natural disaster check, plague check, famine check. Their minds, I'm sure, would have been blown by hearing Jesus' words. Now, can you imagine then a little bit later on, the first hearers of Luke's gospel after he took the time to compile his orderly account, how their mind was being blown by hearing that Jesus had already predicted the destruction of the temple, which happened around 70 AD. And most scholars believe that Luke was written after that, thinking, wow, Jesus predicted this was going to happen. Check. And then they would go through their own checklist and tick off all the things that were happening at that time in the world. But when you actually think about it, I wonder if there's actually ever been a time in human history when you couldn't have completed that checklist, or at least most of it. So if we are in a rethinking everything frame of mind, Maybe this passage isn't about the end. And maybe this passage hasn't got anything to do with predicting when it might be. So what is it all about then? Well, my dad joke kind of mind wonders whether at least Jesus is giving some hope for the follically challenged in verse 18. I I can't help but wonder, maybe as part of the new creation, everybody gets a fresh hair of head, a head of hair even. Oh, it didn't work at at 7.30 either. But anyway, I'm sure there is much more than a bad dad joke to this passage. What if this passage is actually a blueprint 
of how we are supposed to be in the world when things aren't that bad and when things are that bad. Rather than spending all of our time looking for and interpreting whatever signs might be around at the time, this passage encourages us just to do two simple things. Look to Jesus and look for Jesus. The temple was the perfect location for this conversation with the disciples. You see, they'd grown up in Jewish culture and they would have been really familiar with the important role that the temple itself played in Jewish identity. The temple represented the Jewish people's connection and access to God. The disciples would have grown up around the buzz of Herod the Great's 80-year building project to refurbish and enlarge the temple. Sparing no expense, he employed the most talented tradies with the best materials, like white marble that was up to 67 feet long, 12 feet high and 12 feet wide. Blue scarlet and purple Babylonian tapestries made of fine linen formed a veil at the entrance and he'd installed gold and silver-plated gates and gold-plated doors throughout. When the temple was at its best, the Jewish people's relationship with God was at its best. Or at least that's what many of them thought. But the disciples had been with Jesus for a few years by that point. And Jesus had been pointing out the shallowness of those who were running the temple. The religious and the political elite. And these people were advancing their own status and projecting their identity at the neglect and the expense of the obvious need around them. Not only was there no need for this opulence to connect with God, the kingdom of God had come near. In the person of Jesus. And in Jesus, there was unhindered access to the most connected experience possible with God for all especially those who'd been neglected, overlooked and judged as being unworthy or unimportant. But in Jesus, not only was there connection, there was also identity, a way to see yourself and a way to see others and a way to live life in all of its abundance. In Jesus, there's no need for the latest influencer, to change your behaviour and turn your attention to the next best thing. Jesus was enough. Jesus is still enough. Jesus will always be enough. But Jesus won't be limited to our perception of who Jesus is 
our quarantining of Jesus to our own preferences, interpretations, biases, and prejudices. The gospel, the gospel show us over and over again that Jesus will be found in surprising places. So we can't just look to Jesus, we have to look for Jesus. And a continuous posture of looking for Jesus is the best way that I know to deal with the good times that we sometimes experience and the troubling times that we often experience. There's an expression that I use from time to time that I used to think was just a fun throwaway line. But after thinking about it for the last couple of weeks, I actually think it's much more profound than I first thought. If I came across an unusual situation or a tricky Bible passage, I'd sometimes say, it's okay, I can theologize anything. But over the last week or so, that expression has really challenged me. What I used to think was just a fun way of trying to pretend that I could make something out of nothing and because of my Bible training and my skills as an orator, I can bring something to life. But after really thinking about it for the last couple of weeks, I now think that theologizing anything is not just an imperative for those who've got theological training, but for every single Christian. We should be able to theologize to see God or to talk of God or about God in anything and everything. Part of our rethinking everything strategy is to search for God in everything. God made everything, God is in everything, and so we should be able to theologize anything. We just need to be continuously looking for Jesus. In the lies of the false prophets, Jesus' truth can be seen in stark contrast. In the wars and the insurrections, the peace of Jesus that passes all understanding is most clearly visible. In natural disasters, earthquakes, famines, plagues, the healing that comes with a demonstration of compassion and the work that goes towards reconciliation and restoration, all of that is Jesus. When the latest nutbag tells us that we're doomed and there's no hope, we have hope in Jesus and that is undeniable. When we are feeling persecuted or betrayed, we know that we're not, and we never are alone. Jesus is with us. And even in death, actually, especially in death, we have a sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life because of Jesus. It's in the posture of continuing to look for Jesus that we can become witnesses. And we find our testimony emerging. I think that this verse, this will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. 
is a companion to one of my other favourite verses. Always be ready to make your defence to anyone who demands from you an account of the hope that is in you. They go together. So think about this for a little while. The account that you give when you've been betrayed will be different to the testimony that you give after the earthquake. The account that we gave 10 years ago will be different from the testimony that we're going to give tomorrow because we've spent the last 10 years looking for Jesus. I know it might sound a bit illogical and maybe a little bit idealistic, but there must be good news in everything in all times and in every circumstance because Jesus is with us and that and that alone is the source of the good news. But for that to have an impact and for it to make sense to those around us, it can't be scripted, it can't be reduced to your favourite Bible passage or a collection of your favourite Bible passages or even a pamphlet that you might be able to hand to somebody on a street corner. It has to be real. And if we believe Jesus is real, then we have to be real as well. So as we look out into our world, what do you see? What will you theologize? Where is Jesus in the light? And where is Jesus in the darkness? What are your eyes being drawn towards right now? Be ready to give an account of the hope that is in you. But know that the Holy Spirit will give you the words and the wisdom that will always point to Jesus. Whenever things aren't that bad, we have to give this testimony. And whenever things are that bad, we have to give this testimony. But if you notice in this passage that this testimony that we're supposed to deliver, it's not defined. There's no checklist of what we have to mention in our testimonies because I believe a big part of it is because the testimony will change. As we change and as circumstances changed, and it makes me wonder if we're giving the same testimony today that we were giving 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Have we missed Jesus at work in our world? Maybe that's our new testimony. So speak and act with confidence. Because there is good news today. It's not just back then. And it's not just at some indeterminate point, some point in the future. There will always be good news. Because there is always Jesus. Let us pray. Loving God, 
when we get weighed down by the worries of our world and the problems of our lives, help us to look to you to see your example, your abundant grace and overflowing mercy, to see the person of Jesus who came and was embodied in a baby and grew into the saviour of the world who knows us personally and intimately. But help us also to look for you in the unexpected ways and places and people. Help us not to become arrogant that we've got it all together or that our relationship with you is just a once-only thing that happened some time ago and our only hope is something yet to come. Help us to realise that your hope is right now and every day we can see good news in the reality that you are with us and you will never leave us. Help us to be bearers of that good news in our words and our actions. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why don't you stand with me as we sing some more happy songs. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>